Sal Berry. Daryl Sutter tried smiling once and he didn't like it. And Tim Parrish. I need to have somebody actually teach me social media so I know every social media platform to not be on. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2023 NHL Draft Lottery results. We're going to talk about the first round upsets, plural, in this year's playoffs. We're going to talk about some of the coaches that got fired. And we're going to look at the 21-22 SPX hockey card set. Tim, how you doing, man? What's going on? Oh, that's... That's a question you don't want to ask is how I'm doing. I still really haven't figured it out yet, but I'm just going to leave it at that. I am the complete opposite. I mean, I could just be listening to Get Ready for This by Two Unlimited. I like a nonstop loop for like the next four hours because that's just how I feel right now. Because as a long-suffering Blackhawks fan, fan finger quotes, and I guess long-suffering, what, seven years, eight years, the Chicago Blackhawks won the NHL draft lottery. Although, I don't know if DraftKings was taking bets on that, but I feel like I should have bet a lot of money on that because I think I really had a feeling that they were going to win this. And, you know, in years past, everybody was like, oh, the NHL draft lottery is fixed. The NHL draft lottery is fixed. Look, the Penguins got Crosby. Oh, look, I mean, the Oilers got McDavid. Well, you want to know something? Yeah, I'm starting to think the NHL draft lottery is fixed because a generational player, that being Connor Bedard, who is going to go first overall, and the Chicago Blackhawks got the first overall pick. And Chicago is like the fourth largest market in the United States. Fourth or third, I forget. You got New York, you got Los Angeles. And then it's like, I can't remember if Chicago's three or four. And so you have this amazing generational talent of a player going to a major NHL American team in the United States that has lots of potential fans, lots of potential viewers, lots of potential people to sell jerseys and hockey cards and all sorts of stuff too. So yeah, that does kind of seem a little too good to be true. So what you're saying is that the lottery was fixed. No, no, see, no. See, here's no. the thing. Here's the thing. For all of those very same reasons that you're saying that it was fixed, I will just give you one reason why it was fixed. Because they're going through, and first of all, the way they did that, just flipping the cards like that and just reading them off one for one, it was like, we already knew this list was going to be like it was. Like, really, the only action happens in, like, the top five, usually, if there's any movement at all, it's usually only in the top five with that new, everybody's staying where they are and we're not changing the picks until later on. Well, let me, let me just recap. So four through 16, those picks, and they counted backwards, like the number 16 pick will go to the Calgary Flames. Well, they kind of were slotted at 16, so they didn't move. And then 15 to Nashville and all the way up to four. There was no movement between four and 16. But what was funny is when they would say like, and the number eight pick is going to the Washington Capitals. And then they would like cut to whoever the GM was. I don't know if they cut to every single GM, but it, 
They did. And they would just be making like the sour face, like, oh, I'm still drafting eighth or I'm still drafting seventh or whatever. And I mean, it's just like, what are you going to do? I think I some mean, of them that knew they were on camera would smile. Most of them didn't. Even when they showed Mike Greer from the Sharks, he just looked like. He would rather have been anywhere else but there at that time. Yeah, Mike Kerr is the one I'm thinking of. He he looked a little he, unhappy. He wasn't sitting on the end of a couch eating a piece of pizza. Like That's how I want to like remember to Mike Greer, right. sitting on an ugly couch who, in the Oilers wouldn't? locker room, eating a slice of pizza. But what killed me was they're going through them all, and then all of a sudden Bill Daly says nothing, and Kevin Weeks just says, and there's a first change in the order. Columbus Blue Jackets moved down one spot, which gives the Blackhawks basically a shot at number one. And I'm like, there was no card reveal. There was no nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, if this was a card break video on whatnot, this would be the guy that takes the pack off the screen and dips the card and then comes back and gives you some stupid common card when he took the $10,000 card. And That's go, exactly wow. what happened. You know, there were only nine cards in that pack and not ten. What happened? I don't know. Hmm, must have been a factory error, right? So yeah. That's uh, exactly what they did. Just two things I need to explain here. One is that when we're talking about Mike Greer, we're referring to one of his old upper deck cards where he's sitting on a couch eating a slice of pizza. I'll be sure to post an image of it in the show notes. It was one of the puck junk worst hockey cards of all time. Made the puck junk bad hockey card hall of fame. That That's how uh, when we bad. say worst, we mean best. Yes, best of the worst or whatever. And then the other thing is, is that they would reveal a pick and then Kevin Weeks would give like color commentary. And I kind of like that because he had something interesting to say. I mean, even when it was like St. Louis was picking 10th overall and what can you say exciting about that? But Weeks, he said, oh, they got three picks in the first round. Okay, that's an interesting stat. I'm not going to sleep better at night knowing that, but he had something interesting to say about each team, which is what a color commentator needs to do. They need to say something interesting. And that's why Kevin Weeks is one of the best color and studio analysts out there. But when he said Columbus Blue Jackets have dropped to number three, and this is the first hiccup, I'm like, but I didn't see the card flip up showing that they were number three. And I like rewound. I thought I missed it. My attention was diverted for just a second because not going to lie, I was setting up my light because I did a TikTok reaction video, because I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about this no matter what, but if the Blackhawks get that first pick, I'm going to really want to talk about it. So I was like distracted for a second as I was fumbling with my light, and then I'm like, did I miss something? And then Tim texts me, WTF, shenanigans is that. (laughs) It's the Rangers heavy ink all over again. So now you're referring to the 2020 draft lottery where the Rangers drafted first overall. They won the first overall pick. They took Alexei Lafreniere, who at the time was considered the top prospect in that draft. And people were arguing if the ball was too light, if the ball was too heavy, whatever conspiracy theory they could think of that the Rangers got the first overall pick and that it didn't go to like Edmonton or Toronto or Winnipeg or, you know, Columbus. Yeah. I don't know what that was other than maybe just for the sake of time and rather than make it live and have something screw up, they had it pre-recorded. So if it was pre-recorded, then that was an editing room gaffe because obviously he should have flipped the card 
and then he went to that. So when they came back from commercial, it was like, in the next pick, Columbus Blue Jackets. And we're like, yeah, we already know. And then the next thing you know, they flash to Columbus, and Weeks, he says, and there's Columbus's war room. And that's about all he says. Right, yeah. And And they move on to the next one. And I'm like, okay, I guess here we go. And then when they picked Chicago number one, I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know if you saw any of it afterward, but they go back to the studio team and, you know, they're all talking about it. They're like, wow, Chicago gets pretty Chelios, of course. His reaction was he was happy because his daughter was at that party that they were showing, mm-hmm. that watch party. He looked genuinely happy, but the discussion was, we need to bring everybody back. We need to bring Kane back. We need to bring to bring it back we need to bring everybody back so bedard has somebody to play with and it's like if you think about it so let's say the blackhawks do draft bedard because they would be stupid if they didn't who's he going to play with honestly they have to build this team around him like they have to start from the bottom and work their way up because they really don't have the talent or the depth in the organization to surround him with players that can complement his play I mean, is he a generational player? Yes, it's seen. You know, you can look at his body of work thus far and see that he has skill level that are on par with what Crosby had growing up and what McDavid had growing up. And I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, oh, well, he's going to be another bust like Alexei Lafreniere was. I still don't think Lafreniere is a bust. But I don't think that Lafreniere ever had the same kind of potential talent as either of those two players. But Dard does. He absolutely does. And you have to be able to compliment him. I mean, because you'll end up with a situation just like we've seen Connor McDavid. I mean, he's been on that team for where are we at now in the process? Eight years? Eight years. Eight years has... Edmonton even competed for a Stanley Cup yet? They've never made it a final. No. So the closest they made it to the finals was the bubble when the teams got to use their locker room. <laughs> yeah, so so there you have it. Unless you compliment a player and you put talent around him, I mean he's just a superstar, you know, floating on an island, right? So So what? That's how it usually starts though. You have that superstar floating on the island, and then you build around him. I mean, best example I could think of are the uh, Penguins, right? When they drafted Mario Lemieux first overall, who did they have to play with Mario? Warren Nothing. Young? Nothing Warren Young. and no one. Oh, come on. Come on. Warren Young. 40 goals score. Warren Young. I'm not giving you anything. You're not even going to – you're not even going to – that doesn't even get a smile out of you. You can't – you can't even – you can't even – pick a single player off of any of those teams the first few seasons until they were able to bring Paul coffee over and they started getting players that actually wanted to come to the penguins. They had nothing. I mean, Mario didn't even see playoffs. What the first five years of his career, I think the 89 playoffs were the first 88, year, 89, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing is that it, it it's a slow build for a team it, like that. Absolutely. You know, even like the Blackhawks, Going back to, like, the 2000s, you know, like, yeah, okay, they did draft Patrick Kane first overall in 2007, and yes, they did get to draft. Prior to that, they drafted Jonathan Taves, and they drafted Corey Crawford, and they 
drafted Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. So they had like a lot of these, like a lot of the building blocks were already drafted before him. And I'm not saying Patrick Kane is a generational talent, but he was one of the most important Blackhawks on the cup winning teams. I mean, even won the Conn Smite trophy one year. I guess what I'm saying is that this is not going to be an overnight change. But the thing is, is that if this Connor Bedard kid is the next Connor McDavid, is the next Sidney Crosby, is the next Alex Ovechkin, is the next Eric Lindros, is the next Mario Lemieux, he's on. He's definitely not the next Eric Lindros because he's five foot ten. Yeah. <laughs> but... Okay. Well, okay. So I definitely not go as far as Lemieux and Lindros, and he doesn't have the aggressiveness like Ovechkin does. But again, I would put him on par with pure talent and skill like Crosby and pure skill and speed like McDavid. Well, and when I was comparing, I was just saying that like when you have an entry draft, sometimes you have two or three or four guys that could probably be be the first overall pick where they say, yeah, this guy is going to be the first overall pick. I mean, perfect example. We thought Shane Wright was going to go first overall and he went fourth overall. Yeah, but that has some circumstances around it, too. Well, okay, but what I'm saying is that a lot of times... I know what you're saying. They got to rank rank them somehow. You know what? That's just what sports people do. You you know, I hold up my five fingers, and people are going to rank the best finger the thumb to the worst finger, the pinky finger, right? Like, or whatever, or the, the, whatever this finger is, is that the ring finger? I guess that's why I don't know what it is. Cause I'm not married. So anyway, the point is, is that sports people rank stuff. So it's always about who's the best player in the draft. Who's the second best player. Who's the third best player. But the thing is, is that sometimes there are a couple guys that could go first overall. And then sometimes there are guys that you go, yeah, he's probably should be the first overall pick. And then sometimes there's like no contest. And in this case, it's no contest. Yeah, because I don't think there's anybody in their right mind that would honestly think that the Blackhawks would ignore Connor Bedard and take Adam Fantilli. Adam Fantilli's a great player. And if the Ducks end up with him, I mean, that's a great pick. Um, but those guys aren't in the same – they're not in the same class. They're definitely not in the same class. And everybody that's fallen behind there, this is a really good draft class. It really is. But, I mean, as we see time and time again every year, in the NHL draft, once, you're, once you get out of the top ten, what are the value picks at that point? Because there truly aren't many – blockbuster type guys still available outside of the top 10 right generally i mean yeah there's your gems that you're going to get there's your occasional patrick hornquist last pick of the draft kind of guys that are longtime nhlers stalwart type players that any team wanted to have but for every one of those there's hundreds and hundreds of busts and you can look at the top 10 right now from central scouting and see the Bedard is far and away higher than Adam Fantilli, but also Adam Fantilli is far and away above everybody else that's below him. Cause you've got guys on that list like Leo Carlson and Zach Benson and Oliver Moore and Will Smith and that uh, Russian player, uh, Michkov. So you've got all those guys that you could probably interchange them within the next five picks. I mean, it, it's going to be kind of up in the air and it's going to really depend on what the team needs are. But I could see any of those guys being split amongst those. And, I mean, let's face it, guys that that are this high in a draft are going to be expected to be players that are 
impact players. And once they're eligible to make the team, they probably play right off the bat. But you have guys that have been highly touted because of the various world junior tournaments and international tournaments that have gone down. Like take a Will Smith, for example. Will Smith, great player, proved himself. I mean, he's already committed to Boston College. So how long is he going to be gone? You know, let's say he falls to like the Flyers. The Flyers take Will Smith. I mean, when are they going to see his services? I mean, if I was Will Smith, would I want to go to the Flyers and, and forego college? I don't know. Would I want to be picked by the Coyotes and not go to a college program that could compete for an NCAA championship? I mean, same with Oliver Moore. I mean, he's committed to Minnesota. So, you know, you've got guys like like that that you may not see for a while. That's always the fun time when you convert this whole thing to cards and it's like, oh, Connor Bedard's drafted number one. Okay, where's where's he at? Where's his card? We're going to see him. Where's his card? Oh, man. Oh, it's you know, going to be forever. Upper Deck Series 2, right? Uh, well, everything that's come out since then, I mean, nobody's guaranteed it, but I've heard – I've heard a little birdie on a couple of interviews say it without saying it, including our show. And court, <laughs> yeah, of course, including our show. But it's funny because everybody's been photoshopping Connor Bedard into different jerseys. Today, I saw him photoshopped in a Flyers jersey and a Ducks jersey. And it's like, whoa, whoa, slow down there. The draft lottery hadn't happened yet, right? And, you know, of course, like whenever a player gets traded, the first thing they do is they Photoshop them in, into a jersey, you know, and, and I'm like, wow, that's quick. He was just traded 10 minutes ago and already he's wearing a Penguins jersey or whatever. Right. So I guess the thing is, is like it's acceptable to Photoshop players into jerseys except for on hockey cards for some reason. And if you think about it now, I mean, we got the technology to do it and we could do it and do stuff that's like passable. Whereas like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have the technology, but that didn't stop card companies from doing it. They just did whatever the heck they wanted. I mean, we've already seen the the mock-up on next year's portraits cards with Connor McDavid. That completely looks like he put on that King's outfit and and posed for that picture. King Connor the first. But you know what? I just realized something. I remember when Patrick Kane was drafted first overall. And I remember how freaking hard it was to find hockey cards in Chicago at the card stores because they were sold out because everybody wanted to try to get a Patrick Kane rookie card or a Jonathan Taves rookie card. So I remember I'd like go to my local card shop and be like, oh, we're out of everything. We're out of, you know, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. I did collect that year, but I didn't collect as much as I should have. Like, 0607, I was like really into collecting and I was buying everything and I was trying to build Upper Deck Series 1, Upper Deck Series 2. I actually bought a case of Series 2. I bought tons of Series 1. I like built the whole, all the young guns, everything. I mean, I was just like crazy about it. And by 0708, it was like, well, hockey cards are hard to find now. And I'm kind of like a little burnt out a little bit, but that should have been the year I doubled down because you had these two great Chicago players. Although I did build Opeachy that year. And that was a chore. But I'm already dreading what a box of Upper Deck Series 2 or whatever is going to sell for. I'm already dreading Target being sold out of whatever Swill ends up on the shelves. Like, well, MVP won't have Connor Bedard in it, but there will probably be some rookie redemption stuff where you have to collect all nine puzzle pieces or some nonsense i know one year i pulled a card 
And, You'll be able um, to pull the rookie draft cards like you always do. Well, I pulled the one for Jack Hughes, and that was kind of cool. But, I mean, how cool is it to have a Jack Hughes MVP rookie card? Eh, it's kind of cool, but it's still an MVP card. It's just that was a tough pull, getting that redemption card. But I guess what I'm saying is, is like, as someone who collects hockey cards and lives in Chicago, it's going to be a little harder this upcoming season. I mean, I basically live here too, so I'm not that far away. Right. I, I'm still Chicago market, so right. You know, the fervor of hockey mania kind of wore off over the past couple of years with the Hawks being in the state that they've been in. I won't say horrible because no, it's just it's a fair. They've been horrible, but that whole thing is kind of worn off. So we may get lucky, but I think Connor Fever is going to hit, and I they would be remiss if they didn't take full advantage of trying to win back the fans and trying to bring all of this back to get Chicago back up to the madhouse on Madison like it used to be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they have to. They, they have to. If Kyle Davidson doesn't do everything in his power to tell all the minions of the team that work for the team and the marketing department and everything else just to go go all in on this, they have to. They absolutely have to. Yeah, they have to. They have to. And, I mean, part of that is educating the fans who maybe don't know a lot of the things that maybe more of the hardcore fans know. Like, we talk about, like, the World Junior Championships and stuff like that. And that should be something that they should be showing. They need to say, this is the guy that we drafted, and they need to show that overtime goal. That like, he's... This is the guy we're going to draft. Yeah. You notice, you notice he wouldn't even say his name when he was interviewed right after the pick. Mm-hmm. GM, mm-hmm. Kyle. Kyle Davidson, yeah. yeah. He wouldn't even say his name. He went to say it, and then he went, there's a lot of talent. <laughs> he went to say, oh, Kyle, there's a lot of talent in this draft. Because <laughs> I think it's one of those, you know, the unwritten rule, you can't say their name until they're actually drafted, just because it's, I don't know. It's well, bad form or it's considered tampering or I whatever know, it is. But I don't know. Back in 2015, the Oilers came right out and said, we're drafting McDavid first overall. They weren't even around the bush on it. And this was like, yeah. you and know. This isn't a pick that you wouldn't do that to either. There's nothing in anybody's mind that makes them think that they're considering another pick other than that. It's not like what we were just talking about when we said that with last year's draft and but you had a sort of consensus number one pick, mm-hmm. but you weren't real sure because there was a lot of talk the last six months about that top five like being shuffled around. There's no way that's happening here. It's just not. Sorry, my phone is lighting up. I'm still getting text messages and tweets and, and Facebook messages from people congratulating me for the Blackhawks winning. Yeah, good the- job, Sal. Yeah, I mean, all my thoughts and prayers paid off, I guess. You were the reason why the uh, Anaheim Ducks card was flipped the wrong direction, too. I didn't even notice that. Oh, you didn't? He had it no. backwards when he showed it. The only one out of the whole pile that he flipped backwards the wrong way. Hmm. Seems like a trick to me. Like, yeah, he's so, up to something. So instead of the D, it was backward. Dude, it was so funny, though, because, like, I told myself I wasn't going to get, like, overly excited about this, but, like, as soon as they, like, said the Blackhawks hit the first overall pick, I, like, jumped out of my seat, 
landed back on the couch. And then like five seconds later, my aunt who lives downstairs, she shouts up. She's like, are you okay up there? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what happened? And I'm like, the Blackhawks got the first overall pick. She's like, oh, I don't care. And that was the end of it. Like, okay, you're not dead. That's fine. You grab the closest hockey stick. Are you riding it around the room? No, you're, you know. You riding the bull happy? <laughs> no, but I made a TikTok video. I have three videos on TikTok so far. And what? Yeah. Did you uh, say TikTok? Yeah. Okay. So I. And you're not referring to a clock. Yes, I'm not referring to a clock, and I'm not doing it to learn dance moves. I put up a video of, like, a hockey card that I found that was really odd. It was, like, a wrong back. So I, like, I needed to shoot a video of it, and I, like, flipped it over, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I can't, like, post a picture. You kind of need to show the card flipping it around to show that it has the wrong back printed on it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll put this on TikTok just to try it out. And then I like shot like some video of a part of an NHL game where they were playing NHL 94 theme music. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll put that on TikTok because it's like a 30 second clip or whatever. And then so I'm like, all right, I'm going to record a reaction video. And I got to tell you, man, it's harder than it looks because like I did a video and it was like three minutes long. And then I was just like, oh, that's not really good. I should shoot it again. So then I did another one that was like two minutes long. But then like I like kind of went off on a tangent and I started talking about how like the Blackhawks are not a good team off the ice and all the stuff they did to Kyle Beach. And I'm like, okay, whoa, way to go off topic there, Sal. So then I had to do like a third one. So then it wasn't really so much of a reaction video as it was a commentary video. Because by then I was on my third take and it was only a minute and I had already had time to process but I think reaction videos are kind of BS anyways. Okay. Well, obviously, because you just said it took multiple takes, so it wasn't really a reaction video. No, it wasn't. But what I'm saying is that when it's so you're like... saying it's all set up, and everything I've known about TikTok has been true all along. So, like, if it's like, if I gifted you a Sidney Crosby one-of-one one card, and you were like, oh my god, this is great, right? And we got that on video and put it on TikTok. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course you're going to react that way, but... It just if you got that of, on video, you do not have my permission to post that on TikTok. Oh, if I'm giving you a Crosby one of one. I'm not it, signing the release. It comes with stipulations, my friend. I'm not signing that release. Anyway, I kind of put them right up there with like, uh, what do they call them? Gender reveal parties. Like, we're, we're having a boy, we're having a girl. Is and, it even legal to do those anymore? Uh, not since the forest fire. Not since the one that caused the forest fire, I think, which is actually pretty terrible. But that's the thing is, like, I guess it's like you want the reactions from, like, the people who are, like, invested in the thing. And I feel like fan reaction is just kind of it's kind of nice. It's filler, though. But then when it goes down to, like, individual reaction, it's one thing if I, like, say, hey, I'm going to jump my skateboard over the stairway or whatever. I'm going to do these skateboard tricks and put that on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. That's one thing, right? Because you're doing something performative. You're doing a thing. But when it's just like, oh, hi, everyone. I'm going to talk about my team. And they lost the game last night. I guess that's kind of like what sports commentary is anyway. So maybe that's acceptable too. I don't know. I'm kind of working through this right now in real time. So maybe Isn't that also not... what YouTube shorts are? Yeah, kind of. I don't so know. Why not use YouTube? You already had that platform. I don't know. I guess I'll put it there too. Is it um, Instagram for that too? Dude, you can put videos everywhere now. 
And I guess that's why we're just kind of numb to it. I need to have somebody actually teach me social media so I know every social media platform to not be on. Because I don't want to join one by accident just because I think it's going to be cool. Believe it or not, I considered last week deleting my Twitter account. No! I was, I was this close. I really was. You can't do that. You because have... I never go on Facebook anymore. Very rarely. Right. Like I, I might occasionally log in to look at something, and it's usually only because maybe somebody who I knew 10 years ago messaged me through Messenger. So that's how I end up on there. Other than that, I don't go on there anymore. And I have an Instagram account. I made one post on it. I tried it. I can't get into Instagram. I won't do TikTok. I'm just not. I'm refusing. So Twitter is what's left of the old guard that I'm still on. And I just, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I have a film school background. I spent or wasted, however you want to look at it, about a year and a half studying film and video when I was an undergrad. I know camera work. I know lighting. I know editing. I know screenwriting. I know all these things that you need to produce videos. I just don't do it because it's so time consuming. This is why I don't do more video box breaks. I mean, I got a couple of boxes. I have one box of cards here that I want to open. I got a box of clear cut that I've been meaning to open. And I'm like, I'm going to make this into a video. And it's just like, it takes so much time to make a box break video. Like the people who do this stuff all the time, Props to them, man, because it is work. And if you ask me, do I want to spend 10 hours editing a five-minute video or do I want to spend 10 hours writing an article? I'm going to pick writing an article. That's just how I am. I love podcasting. I love talking. Editing's a pain, but it's a worthwhile pain because I feel like the podcast that we put out every week or so is good. But I guess it's just like the people who do video like all the time, man, it is a chore. So the reason why I signed up for TikTok was because it was supposed to be quick and dirty and, you know, just here's me talking for 30 seconds and I put it up in the end and not like I'm going to put this awesome produced 10 second intro with my logo and flames and explosions and rock music and stuff like that, that you would expect on like a YouTube video. I know now there's YouTube shorts and I guess that's the thing. It was just something quick and easy to do. So that's why I started doing TikTok videos and maybe we'll do more. Maybe I'll do a box break on TikTok because why not? Okay. I won't demean you anymore for it. Hey man, let's talk playoffs. I know we had to take a week off. You had a work trip. So I was like, all right, I'll just get Jim Howard to fill in. Well, Jim Howard had a trip too, and then I ended up getting sick. So last week was just not a good week for any of us. We were um, on the same trip, by the way. Yeah, right. Jim, Jim and I, we, went, we had the same job. Yeah, no, actually, Jim came to Chicago. Well, Milwaukee to see Alice Cooper, and then Chicago. And we were supposed to go out for dinner, and I was sick. So I was like that lame friend who's like, oh, yeah, when you come to Chicago, look me up. We'll hang up, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I literally got sick. And I was just like, dude, I am just staying home and staying in bed. I feel better now. But it sucks when, like, your friend from out of town comes to town and you're too sick to go out. But it happens. It happens. So these playoff upsets, we got to at least touch on them because this is kind of a big deal. The Bruins set the record for most wins in a season most points in the season look like they're going to win the Stanley cup have the best goalie in the league, the best goaltending tandem in the league. I mean, their two goalies won the Jennings trophy and then they lose in seven games to the Panthers. 
It's the Madden curse, but the President's Trophy. Yeah, the Madden curse, but the President's Trophy. So the President's Trophy curse. I, I it's mean, a real thing. People can't say it's not. You just can't anymore. You, you burn out in those 82 games, and then you got nothing left. The Panthers just barely made it into the playoffs, and yet they won in seven games. Just a couple of the upsets. Well, I don't know if we... The Devils and the Rangers, I think we expected the Rangers to win, but the Devils were the better. I mean, I mean, obviously they were the better team. The Rangers on paper were the best team that money could buy. Yes, I mean... Flat with, out, and that's with, what they did. They went Kane out and Tarasenko. fought as many guys yes. as they could to come in and add firepower and add scoring and just put them over the top. They may have gave up five goals a game, but they'd score seven. That was the plan. It was going to be the 80s Oilers all over again. And I'm not saying Shesterkin's a bad goaltender. I'm just saying, if your back-end defense falls apart, you're going to face some pretty decent teams in your march to the Stanley Cup Finals, and you're going to have to go through some highly touted teams, including potentially Boston Bruins. You got to have the weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how'd that work out? Not well. Not well at all, in fact. And then on top of that, the Devils, when they brought in their backup, Akira Schmid, to be their goalie after the first two games, and then he shut out the Rangers twice. Now I know that Schmid is not doing so well in the next round of the playoffs, but at least against the Rangers, I mean, he had a very impressive record. We had like a sub 2.0 goals allowed average. It was like 1.38 or something. He had two shutouts. He was one of the stories of that series. Well, and one of the big draws to this whole thing was was the whole Hudson River rivalry there with between the Rangers and the Devils. I mean, that's really what you're looking for. You want to see rival teams with that deep-seated hatred and history just go at it. I mean, that's what we got. It was an entertaining series, but... It certainly didn't result the way I thought it would. Well, then these next two series, I think, were kind of head-scratchers, too. The Lightning and the Leafs. Now, I know the Leafs had the better record. The Lightning were the lower seed, but they didn't feel like the lower seed because they were the Lightning, and they won two finals in a row, and they made it to the finals last year. So, I mean, even if they're the underdog, they didn't seem like an underdog, if that makes sense. No, they didn't seem like they should have been an underdog, but at the same time, if you see how they went out and you see how they played in that series, obviously on paper, you could make the argument that on any given day, if the Lightning played like they were capable of playing, especially over the last few seasons, they could have easily wiped Toronto out. But that didn't happen because, first of all, their scoring leaders weren't there. You know, Stamkos, Kucherov, Braden Point, they had, what, like 115 goals in the season? They had five against Toronto. Five. You can't have your best scorers score five goals in a series. You just can't. I mean, especially when the best player on the other team has five just by himself. So, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, that's the first thing. You know, obviously Vasilevsky didn't play to the, this guy's a superhuman level like we've seen him do in the past. I know this gets talked to death and it's probably a cliche, but when you go to the Stanley Cup finals three years in a row, that's a lot of hockey. It just is. And when your core group of players is still your core group of players, that's a lot of hockey. 
they were beat up. You could see it. They were fatigued. They were beat up. And that's it. It takes a toll on you. It just does. Now, how about the Avalanche losing to the Kraken in seven games? Believe it or not, I actually picked that to happen. Why? Uh, because although that's the defending Stanley Cup champion, and I am the first to always say, you know, they're the champs until somebody beats them, I didn't feel like that matchup worked out well mm-hmm. at all. You know, it, that's one of those series where you looked at it on paper and you're like, come on, an expansion team, this is their first shot at the playoffs. The Avalanche are the defending cup champions. They've got all that extra firepower and stuff. It was all set up for that Cinderella story to just overtake them. It just was. The stage was set for that to happen, and it did. Seattle put a product on that ice. I don't think from the drop of the puck in the first game, I don't think there was any doubt in their heads at all for any of the players on that team that they were going to just completely storm through the rest of that that series and win it. I mean, it's kind of what happened. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't sweep them. Plus they have Grubauer too. He he definitely had a chip on his shoulder. You have to admit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's against his old team. Yeah, I mean, he had to have had a chip on his shoulder. And I know people don't make a whole lot out of the goaltender duel or you used to be on this team and how's it feel to see your former teammates and blah, blah, blah. And most goaltenders are going to pretend like they tuned that out and they don't pay attention to it and that kind of stuff. But it's hard to not look at that and see that as a thing. But when Jared McCann went out after getting hit by Kale McCarr, I kind of was like, uh, maybe there's a chance for Colorado to pull this out. Cause that was what game four. But then McCarr got a, a one-game suspension mm-hmm. for that. So I'm thinking, well, that opens up sort of a window. But, you know, not having McCann in your lineup, you know, there's a 40-goal scorer during the regular season. That's a lot of weaponry that's just not in. But they were able to do it. And, you know, so far in the series now, they're kind of impressing me in this series so far, too. So we've had quite a few coaches get fired or agree to mutually part ways with their team. Yeah, we have. Recently. And I was a little surprised that the Rangers and Gerard Gallant are parting ways. I think Gerard Gallant is a great coach. I don't know why he keeps seeming to change teams every couple of years because Every time he's fired or let go or whatever, I look at the situation and I go, well, it wasn't really his fault. You know, and then he goes to another team and then he wins coach of the year. And then you go, yeah, this guy's a good coach. Why did the other team get rid of him? And it's just funny how that happens. But I guess when you only hire from the same pool of 32 coaches, you're going to get some repeats. Yeah, we need to talk about that comment here in a second. But I agree with you. Gallant being fired anywhere he goes kind of shocks me. Because... He was canned from Florida. He was canned from Vegas. Both situations, it was like, why? He's a yeah. good coach, and he's the team's winning. This doesn't make any sense. And now, you know, you have the Rangers come in. Granted, the team was overbuilt, so they had all the talent, but they couldn't get it done. So now what? He 
hits the bricks this time? Did they actually get him a cab this time? I don't. I, didn't, I missed that part. <laughs> no, they were supposed to get him a limousine. So the story we're referring to is when Gallant was fired from the Panthers. They said, the, grab your suitcase and get out. No, what it was was that they were on the road, and the team said, we're firing you, and we have a limousine that's going to pick you up, and then, I guess, take you to the airport or whatever. And it didn't arrive on time, so Gerard Gallant said, well, I really want to not be here anymore. So he just grabbed a cab and left because he wanted to get out ASAP, right? But the photo that we all saw was Gerard Gallant getting in a taxi cab. And it's like, oh, they fired him. And look, the team made him take a cab back to the airport. And that wasn't actually the story. But that was what everybody saw. You see this fired coach getting into a cab. And that's what everybody remembers, even though that's not really the story. Optics are everything. Optics are everything, right? Yeah, I mean, I know like uh, Peter Laviolette, that's another coach that I really like. I keep hoping he'll come to the Blackhawks. Like, you know what? Luke Richardson did a fine job coaching the Blackhawks. And I'm actually happy for him because, you know, they hired him and they said, they said really quietly, they said, okay, Luke, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tank. We've already traded all of our best players except for Kane and Taves. And we're going to find other players that are promising. And when they become promising, we're going to trade them too. We're going to lose. That's what we're doing. We're going to lose. You just have to put on that happy face and address the media for all 82 games and say, well, we tried hard this, that, the other thing, whatever. So I'm happy for him because now he'll get to coach this phenomenal player unless something happens between now and the draft. But I don't want them to fire Luke Richardson. But, you know, I look at some of these names that are available, Bruce Boudreau, and Peter Laviolette and Gerard Gallant. And man, I'd love any of those to be Blackhawks coaches. Not that that's going to happen. But what about, oh, let's say one of the other recently unemployed, like Daryl Sutter? Would you want Dar him to be a Blackhawks coach? You know, Daryl Sutter tried smiling once and he didn't like it. So he didn't do it again. I totally believe that. You know, when he smiled, it was when the Kings won the cup. It was kind of a smile. Yeah, that, that, that's a Sutter yeah. smile. It counts, you know? It's a slightly smile. I mean, look, the Flames are, I hate to use the word dumpster fire in referring the, to the Flames since they are how actually a fire. How, how can you not? They're, they're the Flames, right? I mean, they won their division last year, and this year they missed the playoffs. You know, Daryl Sutter won the coach of the year last year, and now he's fired. But here's the thing. These old school coach guys, these old hard nosed type guys like Sutter, they run their course fairly quickly in today's day and age of how the league is. And so that newness and that gruffness and that we're going to do bag drills all day and stuff like that, you know, these are the type of coaches that may work out for a year or two, but beyond that, they kind of start to wear out their welcome. And I can't say that these guys won't get hired anymore because obviously John Tortorella got hired in Philadelphia. But what was the one thing that Philly lacked for a few years? Grit. They had none. Grit and defense. Nobody blocked a shot. Nobody played defense. Nobody went in the corners and battled. Nobody did any of that. And that's what he bases his whole entire coaching style around. So that's what they were looking for. So who better to bring in than somebody like that? But... 
I don't know. When you go from winning your division to completely missing the playoffs, it's hard to put your support behind a guy like that. That's what happened. You had him gone right before Gallant got fired. It wasn't a coach, but the Penguins fired their GM and president of hockey ops with Brian Burke and Ron Hextall, which is a fantastic thing. But you still have Mike Sullivan employed. Who knows what management's going to do? I mean, apparently they're waiting to bring in a GM and let the GM decide if Mike Sullivan's going to get tossed. But you can't expect him to not be on the hot seat. First season, losing out on a playoff spot in the prior few years, they were consistently knocked out of the first round. The team underperformed all season. Team chemistry was in question all the time. Lineups were always in question. He was playing the million-dollar contract guys rather than the guys that were going out there and actually playing for the team. So he just wasn't coaching like he did on the back-to-back Stanley Cup seasons that we saw him do. And but those were different teams. They were different teams, but is it time for a new voice in that locker room? I don't know. Look, the GM's always going to want to hire their own coach. So I could see a new GM in Pittsburgh wanting to fire Mike Sullivan. I don't think Mike Sullivan's the problem, and I think he's a great coach. I don't disagree. I I think he's a great coach too. Sullivan I just is think like that the sometimes guy... you need a different voice in the room. You need think different... about it. You need a different voice in the room. Sullivan is proof of that. I mean, he absolutely is proof of that. They had Johnston in there, right? Right. And they were tanking hard with Johnston in there. They couldn't win to save their lives, and nobody was playing to his system because they just didn't want to. And they bring in Mike Sullivan, and all of a sudden. They're a Stanley Cup champion. Well, okay, but the thing is, is that sometimes, like, when you have the talent and you're not winning, you need another voice in the room. And maybe that's what the Rangers thought with Gallant, because they're like, oh, my God, we're a great team on paper. And granted, they might not keep some of that talent after a free agency opens up in July. But they probably said, all right, we have all the right pieces, but the coach isn't doing what needs to be done with that. Like with the Penguins, I mean, Sidney Crosby's not going to solve all their problems, right? Even though he's not at this point in his career. No, right. Exactly. So what I'm saying is that the Penguins need more good players. Like you said, they were a team that would get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. What's the difference between a team that gets bounced in the first round of the playoffs and a team that barely makes the playoffs? Not much. So, they're on a steady decline. Because they just keep getting older. And that's, right. Their core group gets older. And, you know, despite the fact that the fans demand nostalgia, they also demand performance. And you can't have both. And you can't be paying guys ridiculous contracts to just go out there and underperform night in and night out like they did with Jeff Carter. Right. So you, you fire the coach midseason. You get somebody like Rick Tocchi to come in and yell and make noise and and shake things up and maybe give the team the push that it needs or not. And sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah, but it's a short-term effect. It is. Right? If you don't have if you don't have the talent, it's a short-term effect. Most of the time those interim tags only get put on assistants that take over and stuff like that though. You usually don't bring somebody in from the outside and just say, "Okay, we're just going to use you temporarily." To your point that you brought up about not being a system guy. You know, that's what happened to Dallas Eakins and the, with the Ducks. They didn't renew his contract either. The same day that Capitals didn't renew LaViolette. You know, he was 100, 147, and 44. 
not really blowing up people's radar as far as a talented coach, but a lot of that has to do with the team rather than the coach. But the thing with him was, look at the regime that's in charge now. He's a Bob Murray guy. Pat Verbeek's in charge now. He wants to put his own stamp on that team. I don't think he was on Team Dallas at all. So I think that this gave him his opportunity to bring somebody in there that that he handpicks and that he wants to put in there. Makes sense. I mean, that's what GMs do. When they can't do that, there's almost always going to be a problem. But to your point you made before about the fact that we keep recycling the same coaches over and over again, why do you think that is? Why is it that there's 32 head coaching slots in the NHL level and probably four times that with associate-type coaches, whether that's assistants or video coaches or you know whatever type coaches, also within those positions. And there's countless number of you know AHL coaches available and, and down from there. Why is it that it just every year seems like – look at last year. We had 10 vacancies over the summer last year. And we're already heading that direction now. So why is it that those 32 spots keep getting filled by the same 14 coaches? And I say 14 because right now 14 coaches in the league are on at least their second NHL coaching gig. That was 18 before, like Gallant and LaViolette and Sutter and Eakins and all of them. It was 18 because those guys were on their – multiple coaching thing but since all of them are fired that's down to 14 but we essentially had 18 coaching positions and it's just i was here i'm moving there i'm in dallas i'm going to minnesota i'm in nashville and i'm going to washington and i'm in washington and i'm going to florida and so on and so forth and it's like why why is it that the nhl seems to think that there's only this select few group of guys that are capable of coaching an NHL team. I mean, part of it is connections. You got guys that'll follow a GM around, or sometimes you have a coach that becomes a GM, and you got guys that they just basically, they work those connections, right? So then you go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I played with him. And okay, he coached for this team, and it didn't work out. I'll hire him to coach for my team. But it seems like in any other industry, like if you take the corporate world, for instance, If you had a CEO of a major company and you went and you were hiring for a CEO and this guy comes walking in and you're like, oh, he was a CEO of hmm, this company and this company and this company and this company and this company. And And you just see all this stuff and you're like, there's two trains of thought there. They're like, wow, this guy was a CEO of all these Huge major companies. That just shows that everybody wants him to be their CEO. Or does it show that he can't keep a CEO job? What is it? And it seems like the NHL is looking at it the first way. It's like, oh, this guy has been fired 17 times as a head coach. That means 17 teams wanted to hire him. So that's why I'm going to hire him. I feel like that's a weird way of thinking about it. And sure, 
most of these coaches that we're talking about that were fired, I don't think any of them are bad coaches per se. Because if they were bad coaches, they wouldn't keep getting hired. I don't think the NHL recycles any bad coaches. And I think their actual ability levels are taken into account. They have to be. And yeah, many times when they get fired, sometimes it's not their fault. I mean, you can fall into a bad situation sometimes. But I just don't understand what the fear is of going outside the box of those select guys. Well, I can answer that for you. And we've talked about this before. You said this, and I quote, the NHL is a copycat league. And another thing that we all agree on is that the NHL is notoriously slow to adopt change. So they always go with that safe, comfortable pick. I'm not saying hire a basketball coach to be a hockey coach. No, 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 no. You hire a, a football coach to be a soccer coach. Again, that's I'm not saying that kind of thing. I'm saying, look, look at who wins, you know, who wins the Calder Trophy. Which team wins the Calder Trophy? Look at that coach. I mean, he took an AHL team. They won the championship. Why wouldn't he be considered a candidate? Uh, a lot of times job? they are. But the thing is, is um, you didn't even get my Ted Lasso reference. I've never seen it. He's an American football coach. I mean, I'm aware of it. I've hired seen it. by a team in England to coach a soccer team because they want the team to fail. So they hire a coach that has no business coaching soccer to coach the team so that it fails, but then he ends up doing well. And I really got to watch the next season. But anyway, I don't have Apple. I don't either anymore. So I need to fix that. But getting back to your point. So a lot of times they'll say, okay, this guy's doing really well in the minor leagues and they'll, they'll get a shot. But the thing is, is that the NHL is slow to change and they go with that. Well, we know Gerard Gallant's a good coach. It just didn't work out for him in New York, but he did win coach of the year before. and Maybe he can win it again. So it's easier to take a chance on Gerard Gallant, because it doesn't really feel like taking a chance. It kind of feels more like you're going to get this good coach, and can they do something good with my mediocre team? And it's easier to do that than to say, all right, I'm going to look at the third best coach in the AHL this year and say, well, look, he had a bunch of nobodies, but they somehow finished third. It's easier to do that and, you know, and go with somebody with a proven track record instead of hiring somebody new. And a lot of times too that they don't even they won't even get the shot right away. They might move up to be an assistant coach. You might get somebody who goes from being an AHL head coach and an NHL head coach and other times they go from AHL head coach to NHL assistant coach or whatever, right? I mean, I get that. I kind of know that that's the answer and I was being more of a let's bring up a talking point type thing when it comes to that, but I do question it because I just feel like we get into this rut of just recycling the same guys over and over. Here's my problem with it. This is my ultimate problem with it. When you're recycling guys over and over, you know what you're getting every time. It's not a situation where, oh, we really need some grit on the back end, so we're going to hire Daryl Sutter to bring us grit on the back end. You know what comes with that. He's going to give you a really tough, gritty defensive structure. But you see what happens everywhere he goes is that stifling defense takes away from 
the offense mm-hmm. because there's so much focus on it because that's how he is. Yeah, he's abrasive and he's gruff and he's rough around the edges and stuff. Okay, well, that only works for so long. It only worked for so long in L.A. It only worked for so long in Calgary. Is he going to get another job somewhere else? Who knows? But a new voice. I feel like there needs to be new voices in the league that can come in and make some type of difference and put a whole different spin on what's been going on. Somebody gave John Cooper a chance. And look, he won cups. You know, somebody gave Jared Bednar a chance. He won a cup. And those were first-time coaches, right? So they were able to to do it. And look at what look at what Rod Brindamore has done in, with the Hurricanes. I mean, I honestly didn't think he would be that good of a coach at first until I saw what he did and I saw how the players responded to him. He hasn't really won yet, but Rick Tockett's the same way. The players respond to him. They want to play for him. So it's like, you know, having these these newer, I think the new voices and the new ideas that come in, and I guess the last couple that I named were former players. So, you know, they kind of know what goes on in the locker room a little better than maybe somebody that wasn't a player. But at the same time, it's more to the point. Not every recycles a poor choice, you know, I just feel like, you know what you're getting with the recycled guys and that makes them risky because you know what you're already going to get and you know, they've been fired numerous times. Otherwise you don't have guys that are tenured 10, 12, 15 years in the league anymore. You just don't really get that. You have a 10 sure with John Cooper, but Mike Sullivan's been around for a while, I guess as well. He hasn't been around that long he's not been around forever they always say coaches are hired to get fired and that's just what it is you can't fire the players so you fire the coaches right easier to fire one coach than 20 players sure and you know so many things go into that but i just feel like it's time it's time that there needs to be some type of wave you know and i'm not saying wipe the old guys all out but maybe start even if you're not going to give them a chance as a head coach, at least bring them up and put them on people's staff and give them that opportunity to to get up there because I think it's time. I really do. Yeah, there definitely needs to be more younger coaches that I think are a little more relatable to the players. I mean, the players can relate to Rod Brindamore because he retired, okay, maybe 15 years ago or so, 10 years ago. I mean, he played in the 2000s, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Well, look at yeah. how well the players are responding in Montreal to Marty St. Louis. Yeah, that was a surprise. They love, him. they love that guy. Well, we were, okay, so, okay, first of all, when you mentioned He hasn't coached in his life. Yeah, and when you mentioned Jared Bednar earlier, and I kind of chuckled at that, I chuckled at that because do you remember what the situation was when the Colorado Avalanche hired Jared Bednar to be their head coach? I do, so I'm just wondering if you remember what the situation was yeah it doesn't dawn on me right away so go ahead what happened was was that patrick wah decided that he didn't want to be head coach anymore and he did this late enough in the summer that gm joe sackick basically didn't have anybody that he could hire because by that point all the good coaching prospects had gone to other teams so if you're gonna hire a new head coach, you want to be shopping around for one in May, June, July. 
If your head coach says to you, hey, I'm Or if you're the Canucks in January. Yeah, well, no, but that's that's a little different. That's a <laughs> mid-season change. And by then, you already might have had some firings and hirings and whatnot. But the thing is, is that when you're like a month or two away from the start of the season and your head coach says, you know, it's like, when your head coach leaves and you need Indeed, I need Indeed, I need Indeed right now. You, know, you ever see that commercial? Your sound yeah. engineer's fi- leaving to find himself, right? So The, the kids are coming back to school and you still have seven teaching positions that haven't been filled. Basically, the Avalanche are like, all right, well, guess we're calling up our AHL coach to be our NHL coach, and we'll see how it works out for us. And you know what? It worked out pretty well for them. And I actually felt very happy for Jared Bednar, because when Patrick Waugh quit and the Colorado Avalanche shrugged and said, all right, guess we're just going to bring up our minor league coach to be our major league coach. And I was happy that it worked out for him and then he won a Stanley Cup. So, yeah, it was just kind of a funny situation. And again, with Martin St. Louis, yeah, we're like, what the heck? This guy, did he even coach peewee hockey? I mean, I maybe I, he has no professional experience as a coach. I know that. And that's the weird thing. But, but he's know, a hockey Hall of Famer. So, I mean, yeah. And there's something to be said for that. But then again, I mean, Maurice Richard tried his hand at coaching and the World Hockey Association, and I think he lasted like two games or something. Yeah, yeah. He was not. Yeah, it was wasn't. It wasn't a season. It wasn't even half a season. It was like a couple games. Like two games or ten games or something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it was. It it was really short. I mean, and you have that sometimes. You have former players who can excel at coaching, and yeah, I'd like to see some new people too in in the mix. But it is kind of exciting now that like. It used to be all guys that like were on my hockey cards from the 60s and 70s were coaches in the 80s and the 90s. But now the guys that have hockey cards in like the 90s are coaches now, like Rod Brendamore and Brad Larson and Dallas Eakins. You know what I mean? I like, oh, okay, yeah, he had the card in the 1998 Donruss Canadian Ice set or whatever, you know, so a little more current players, current being within the last 30 years. Right. Shall we talk about this hockey card set? Uh, I mean, if you want to be a hockey card type of show, I mean, that might be a good starting point. I don't know. I mean, if they can combine chocolate and peanut butter into like a candy, why can't we combine hockey and hockey cards into a podcast? I don't know. I don't know if people go for it. Although well, this, Let's try it. Yeah. Well, we've been trying it for about the same time as McDavid has been on the Oilers. So I want to talk about, I really don't want to talk about, but we're going to talk about, I mean, I do want to talk about, because I love talking about hockey cards, even if it's a set that I'm underwhelmed by. And so we're going to talk about 21-22 SPX hockey, which came out this year in March of 2023, but it's a 21-22 season. And it always throws me a little bit off because then I'll be like, Ooh, is this the one with Jason Robertson? Oh, wait, nope, that was the previous year. And then I go, okay, wait, who was in this set? Oh, wait, yeah, that's the Trevor Zegris and Moritz Sider year. Okay, you know what I mean? So I, when I'm opening a box, I kind of have to be, wait, is it this? Is it from this year? Is it from last year? Is it from two years ago? And SPX Hockey, you get four cards in a box. They're each wrapped individually, so you get four packs each pack has one card, and that box costs $130. So, 
So you really want to open a box of SPX. Like you're in this for the hits. And so what you're promised in a box of four cards are two hits and two tech cards. And I'll try to say tech cards without giggling, because even though I'm a tech kind of guy, when I hear tech cards, I'm like, oh, okay, it's got a hologram. I guess that's a tech card. Ooh, it's got a different type of varnish on the front. I guess that's a tech card. You remember we talked about the artifacts when we talked about artifacts. Yeah. Those were the tech cards, the leather, the wood, the clear plexiglass cards. Yep. Those are all tech cards. So I did post a box break recently of my SPX box, and I'll post a link to that in the comments if you want to see that break. But I'll just reiterate what I got in my box. So my two hits were... I got an autograph of Brady Kachuk, which is nice. I like Brady Kachuk. I like his brother better, but I like Brady. You know, he's a fighter. He's a tough guy, too. He's a tough guy, team captain. You know, he has an autograph, and I guess that's what matters. And it's a sticker auto because, you know, COVID, I guess. All right, fine, whatever. Because this is still a 21 product. 21-22, but yes, okay. I got a rookie jersey spectrum card of Joe Valeno. Of the Red Wings? Okay. Here's not the thought. Red Wing you'd want out of that mix, but... Not the Red Wing right. I'd want out of this mix. Not my first choice or even my second choice. Is it a numbered card? Yes. But it is the which, dreaded white jersey swatch. Which subset is that from? This is called Rookie Jersey Spectrum. Rookie Jersey Spectrum. Right. And it's got gold foil on the front it's numbered out of 99 copies, and I'm bemoaning the fact that it has a white jersey piece on it, which I guess I mean, is it okay. It could have been worse. You could have got the base one instead of the Spectrum one, I guess. I guess it could have been better. You could have got the patch or the one of one. So Yeah, that's true. I mean, could the have one gone of either one. way. Yeah, this is kind of a middle of the pack, no pun intended. It was the middle of the pack because it was the only one in the pack. Only card in the pack, right, yeah. It was the top, the bottom, and the middle. Yeah, it was the alpha and the omega. Jacob Bernard Docker. I'm getting a lot of this guy's cards. So this is a Radiant FX Rookies numbered out of 150. And it's kind of like a uh, synergy card in that it's two layers thick. And, like, one layer is printed on the PETG plastic with, like, clear see-through parts. And then it's got, like, another layer on top that has, you know, like, the foil board. And, I mean, is it a nice-looking card? Yeah. That's the tech insert, or one of the two tech inserts. And then the other one I got was a Shadow Box Rookies of Jamie Drysdale. And so if you haven't seen the Shadow Box cards, yeah, they are real nice-looking it's basically like a shadow box effect where you, it's a thick card and you have a photo. It's like inset. So there's some depth between the border of the card and the photo that's like inset. And it's printed on a shiny holographic foil, like a rainbow foil. And then it's got like a rainbow foil piping on the border around the picture. I mean, it's it's a nice card. I like the shadow box cards. There's something different. They're very eye-catching. And it's really crazy to think just how far trading cards have come in 30, 40 years. I mean, since Upper Deck made that first baseball set in 1989 and 
how that just blew the roof off the place. And it's just been like the sky's been the limit since then with just like all the cool things they do on cards. My problem is that for about 33 bucks a card, this is a really big ask. Do you want to buy hockey cards? Yeah. Do you want to spend 130? Uh, okay. And get four cards. Hmm. Are you waiting for an answer? Because I thought that was rhetorical. My answer is going to be probably no, unless you're going to buy me the box and I won't owe you anything in return. Right. And yes, then we can do that. And I will hope to pull all black obsidian rookies from that box. First of all, if I'm buying a four pack box with only four cards in it and I'm paying 130 some dollars for it, and I could also buy a box of Series 1 or Series 2 for $130. Probably going to go with a box of Series 1 or Series 2. Part of that reason is a ton of the cards in the FX set are not numbered. A ton of them. Right. And the checklist is enormous. Like, enormous. Sure. The base checklist is only 100 cards, but I feel like a product like this that's that high shouldn't have necessarily base cards per se. It should have something that's insert related. The, now, the, all the base cards are numbered. I think they're all numbered out of 299. I don't know that they made any exceptions to that this time. Occasionally, they'll throw a couple in where they aren't numbered that high, but I think all the base were out of 299, which is fine, but still. A base card out of two ninety nine, it might as well not be numbered at that point. I didn't even get a base card in my box. Which, for a normal collector busting boxes that's not a set builder, and again, this isn't a set builder set, you would want that, right? You wouldn't want base card. You wouldn't want a $130-some box where it's $33, $34, $35 a card and have one of those be a base card, especially if it's, Anthony Beauvillier, you're not getting 30 bucks for that card. Well, Nor are you getting it for almost anybody in that list outside of, if you're lucky, 10 players. You know, I'll give just one quick example, and I've given this before, but 1617 UD Black. I really like the base card design. I opened a box of that. I really like the base card design. I want to say there were like 40 or 50 base cards. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But I told myself, I want to build this set, and I'm going to do it for less than what a box costs. And I was right. So I gave myself a budget of like $130 or whatever a box was. Maybe it was $100, maybe it was $200. I can't remember because this was like seven years ago. But what I did was I bought most of the cards that I needed on eBay for like 3 to $5 each. The only one I paid a lot for was Connor McDavid because it was his second year card and it was numbered out of 299 so i think that one i spent like 30 or 40 dollars on and then everything else was like between three dollars and ten dollars and a lot of times i'd find people who bust a case and then they would throw up like seven or eight of them on ebay for like a buck each and i'd win them for like a buck each plus combined shipping so yeah you're absolutely right with a high-end set the base cards are an afterthought and if you like them they're inexpensive for the most part. Yeah, and you know when we decided we were going to talk about this, I kind of took to the bay just to see kind of where some of the stuff is selling. And 
are there cards that are going to net somewhere around the $30 range if you decided to unload them? Yeah. Is there a ton of stuff, content in there that doesn't touch that? Absolutely. And granted, the playoffs just ended. It was a disappointing ending, and there were some issues there at the end. But he was the darling almost most of the season. Jeremy Swayman, his shadow box card. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a couple that have closed auctions at 25 bucks or less. So even there, you're still not getting back what the overall price per card ends up being for, for a box. Right. That'd be a cool card to have. That'd be a really cool card to have. But, you know, there's way too many, I think, single swatch cards. Single colors. Single color cards. I think there's a little more. And granted, you can't have all you can't have all the bangers in there only because then it would be even higher. It'd be a two hundred and fifty dollar box if that's all that was in there. So you have to have, you know, a Joey Keen auto jersey patch mixed with the occasional who's a good rookie like a oh like a Mort Sider or, yeah, or um Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield, yeah, Perfetti, you know, Sillinger, Cam York, one of those guys, Quentin Byfield. I had to think for a second which rookie class we were dealing with. Right, just exactly. Like, just like it's you did. It's so off-putting, you know. <laughs> just in this season alone, we've had to deal with three rookie classes. I know, it's hard to right? keep them straight. My thing is this. If you want to spend a lot of money on a box of cards, that's your right to do so. There's just always that, like, what you're buying and, and what you're getting, right? So if I spend 100 bucks on Hobby Box of Upper Deck Series 2 or 120 or 130 I know I'm going to get base cards. I know I'm going to get one insert per pack. I know that I may or may not get a jersey card. I know that I might get an autograph card, but I probably won't. But I know that I might get a French young gun, right? So I know what I can get. But the thing is, is that I feel like there's a lot more upside. Plus, I like that set. With something like this, you're hit chasing. So like when you're hit chasing, you got to be willing to like accept the fact that you might get a hit of a lesser player. Again, I was kind of like saying, eh, Brady Kachuk, I wish it was an autograph of Matthew Kachuk. But I like this card, but you know, when I looked it up on eBay, it's like a $10 card. I guess that's the thing though. Is that like, am I collecting to resell? No, not really. I sell what I don't like. I trade what I don't like. I keep what I like. I mean, that's, I think what most collectors do. But then when I look at like this Jersey card and you're like, well, it could have been worse. It could have been the unnumbered one, but it could have been better. It could have been the Jersey patch, right? I like the fact that it's numbered. I understand that they can't always number every single card, but I feel that like if you're spending a hundred bucks or more on a box of cards and you're only getting four cards, number them, make them all numbered, make them limited. That's what I'm saying. If they at least were all numbered, then there's at least something there. There's at least some perceived value that like, Hey, I got this Jamie Drysdale shadow box card and, Okay, maybe I wish it was of a different player, but then again, it's numbered out of 199. And then I feel like, okay, this is kind of like a neat thing to have because it's a little more limited. Like, remember Panini did that set called Panini Limited and like every card in the box was numbered out of something? That was its selling point, was that every card is limited. I don't know, it's just, it's like you spend a lot for a box and then you just get a card that's like, there might be a thousand of them. There might be 10,000 of them. You don't know. 
What were the four again? You got the Brady Auto, the Docker, the Drysdale, and what was the fourth one? Joe Valeno, a rookie jersey Spectrum. That's right. Okay. I was trying to remember what the other one was. Yeah. So I guess that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I am always happy when there's at least one guaranteed autograph because I've always liked autographs. I'll always like autographs. Jersey cards, it's taken me 15 years to really warm up to Jersey cards, maybe 10 years. I don't know. But those first five or six years, I just couldn't get rid of Jersey cards fast enough. I just didn't want them in my collection. I had no use for them. I would trade them. I'd give them away. Now it's like if it's a nice looking card, I like having it. But I look at this and I go, is this the card that I would expect out of a box that cost $130? And the answer is no. The only thing that keeps this from being a rookie jersey spectrum from SPX and a UD game jersey is probably the serial number on the front. Because otherwise, I was going to say it looks just like one. It does, right? Yeah, it looks just like one. And really, just talking about that, and I know this isn't investment time with Sal and Tim, but Hmm. don't. If if you turn, if you, yeah, exactly. Don't. Okay, show's over. Uh, if you turn to and look at like closed auctions that because let's say this is the only place we have to go for that kind of thing those four cards that you got yeah that brady's nice that shadow box one is nice but really with this product being out since march and a lot of people busting it open and a lot of breakers throwing that stuff out there i mean realistically those four cards that you have have got a resale value of 18 to 30 bucks realistically Hmm. That's your range is 18 to $30. If you got more than $30, I'd be shocked. And here's a product that's 135 bucks out the door. So yeah, we always say this buying an open product is always a gamble because you can hit it big. I mean, there's crazy cards in this really crazy ones, but there's also a lot of Jacob Bernard Docker cards. And if you're Hmm. a senator's fan, great. In fact, if you're a senator's fan and you got your box, You'd be ecstatic, right? I mean, you got Brady Auto. You got that Docker card. What more do you want at that point? This is a risk. It's a gamble. It is what it is. But now you lost 100 bucks. So if you're looking to kind of hedge your bets here, I don't know that this is one that you want to hedge your bets on. I think there's a lot of better choices out there for $130 for a box. It's going to pull you more value, not necessarily dollar value, but pull you more fun value. Can we use that as a phrase? Fun value. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, like, let me give you like another for instance. Like, I picked up some boxes of twenty one twenty two Parkhurst recently for cheap. I opened them yesterday, and you know what? I got a Cole Caulfield rookie. I got a Jeremy Swayman shiny rookie card, and you know what? It was a fun break. It was a bunch of packs. It was 12 packs. It was 10 cards per pack. Another 2122 product, 2122 Parkhurst. Now I'm changing the subject here. But the thing was, is that like, I felt like I got my money's worth out of that. And like the fun value, you look at like what you pay and how much enjoyment you're going to get out of it. And you might say, oh, well, that's 60, 70 bucks, but it has 22 or 24 packs, right? You know that you're going to get a lot of cards and there's a lot of potential to get cards that you'll enjoy. That's why I've always been kind of weak need about stuff that lives like one card per pack. It's like, well, you really got to like that one card. 
But you're also still sitting on a box of clear cut, like you said. Because I'm I'm trying to figure out this whole TikTok thing so I can do a, a break of it, you know. So that's going to be your one card surprise. Exactly right. Yeah, coming soon to Puck Junk on TikTok. Right, I will do. I'll I'll do these. Uh, this this box break of clear cut. What I you need, need to do is now that it's getting nice outside, is go outside with the box and like walk around the neighborhood and open it while you're walking. Yeah, I'd need a camera crew for that though because. If you're holding the camera with one hand or your phone with one hand and you need two hands to, like, open the box, then it gets hard. You just need one of those. Selfie still, stick. Do they still call them that? Selfie yeah, sticks? I think so. Or, like, one that, like, attaches to your body and they'll sit out here. And so you can just walk hands-free. Hands-free ah, selfie stick. I'd rather just sit, you know. I'm old school, like David Letterman, you know, just want to sit and talk and not, like, walk around and stuff like Jimmy Fallon. Like every single patch card that you, or jersey card like that you get. I mean, there is a shot at like a rookie auto jersey out of there. I mean, there's rookie like superscript. There's double patch cards. You're there's, talking about SPX. Yeah, back to yeah. SPX. I mean, those black lustrous rookies are really nice. They're super nice. In fact, the patch ones that have the autographs on them that have like the shoulder patch pieces mm-hmm. of like the jersey logos and stuff those are sweet looking but there's so much on this checklist those are tough they're really tough yeah they're tough pulls yeah i mean like i said i don't expect like when i open a box it only has like four or five cards i don't expect all five of them to be you know Connor mcdavid and trevor zegris and cole no because you can't because you'll be disappointed every single time no but I kind of want every card to be nice, even if it's not of the greatest player. You know what I mean? Like, I remember pulling a laundry tag card of Jacob Voracek, and I was like, okay, not a player that I collect, but this is a really nice card, and it's numbered four out of four. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like every card should be really special. And in my box, I feel like the Shadow Box rookie was special, but I want it to be numbered. I feel like the autograph is special. Kind of want that to be numbered too, just because, again, when it's a product that's this expensive, you kind of have that expectation. Yeah, you definitely have somewhat of an expectation there that you really want to hit something cool that's going to like blow away what you spent on the box. And you, I think you want that anytime when you're opening product like that. I hesitate to call it a feast or famine product. Because there is so much available that you can pull out of it. And, you know, feast or famine stuff is more like, you know, that's cup level type stuff. Because I saw people annihilated on 2021 cup product just based off of stuff that they were pulling. But if you look at overall value wise for $130 with the potential that's in there, I mean, would you say that this is a value type product, your opinion? No, it's a feast or famine, like you said. That that's exactly okay. so you, that's exactly you, you, what I'd say. So you would go with feast or famine. Yeah, this is where if you pulled a nice autograph or RPA of a superstar or a hot rookie, you'd be like, yes. And like I said, though, like everything else. I mean, have you looked at any of the auction sales on some of these? Just a few. I mean, the Trevor Zegers Obsidian Garden, mm-hmm. five hundred twenty-three bucks. I mean, if you hit that out of there, great. You're golden. 
Right. You but know? then again, you're buying purely to resell it, and that's fine too. But I guess what I'm saying is like, if I'm going to spend a lot of money on cards, I want to get four really nice cards. And like three of these cards look like they could just be in any set. I said and, we're investors now. Oh, did you not oh, hear me? Sorry. <laughs> we are now the investment advice network. Still, I guess my point is overall, there's there's a lot of hundred to five hundred dollar cards that are on this checklist. Mm-hmm. It's just they're far outweighed by one dollar and two dollar single jersey cards of rookies that have already been bumped from the league or haven't quite made it yet and you'll find a ton of that sitting in discount value boxes if you went to a show that's the part that kind of hurts on a product like this that is a previous season product where you already have a good gauge on how the rookie class has fared already that was the big rub to the cup coming out so late. Yeah, you have your superstars in there. But man, how many duds do we have from that rookie class? Because we're two years in. At least this is one year in. But we'll have less of this once everything's caught up. If it gets caught up, I think. It's getting there. You know, now stuff isn't two years old. It's maybe just a season removed. But it's getting caught up. Look, I'm not saying go out and buy buy this product just because you want to roll the dice and gamble i personally i would stay away from this and if you really want some of the stuff in the set go buy the cards themselves save the money you know if there's a 150 dollar card of your favorite player the gpc by all means go out and find it and buy it spend that money on that card rather than buy the box because your chances of getting that card and even if you did you end up with three junk cards too and you'll want that. So just buy the card rather than this product. There's plenty of it out there. Just check for it. Absolutely. We're going to wrap this one up then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to follow us on social media. Tim is at the Real DFG on Twitter, at least for, for the time being. And I'm at Puck Junk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.